This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I'm joined in studio once again with Jim Sebastia. Jim, good to see you again. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Brian. Good to be here. So we're going to tackle a a topic that I think a lot of people uh, are affected by, uh, these pastors in the ministry, especially pastors who are laboring in smaller churches around the world. So hopefully this will be helpful to you. Before we move into this topic, uh, we want to ask you to... uh, to write a review on iTunes if you're helped by this podcast. helps us to just grow and get some feedback in a helpful way. And you can also write us at practicalshepherding.com if you have an idea you want us to tackle on the podcast. We'll be glad to uh, to, to try to, to handle that at some point as we're going through the list of things we want to try to tackle on this podcast. Also, if you are helped by the ministry, you can go to practicalshepherding.com and go to the Donate donate button that's there on the homepage and click on that and give financially to help support this podcast as well as all the other ministries that we are doing here at Practical Shepherding. So thanks for those who have supported us in the past. Jim, will you uh, explain kind of the topic we're going to talk about today? Brian, I want to talk about how we preach and how we pastor when there is little to no visible fruit as the result of our ministry. How does a yes. man press on in the long haul long how does he not give up how does he not grow weary and well-doing when as a result of his labors his public labors and his private labors uh, he sees little to no visible fruit Um, i think this is a peculiarly in a lot of ways american problem Uh, we have a mindset that's based upon you know, ideas of church growth, that if you will do certain things, if you're a certain kind of man, if you've got a certain kind of gift, then your church is going to grow, or we know how to make your church grow. And, and by church growth, we mean uh, people's in the seats. We mean bigger budgets. Yep. Uh, maybe one day you get to start buildings and, and all of those things. And that can sound crass, but on the other hand, it is something you desire because you want people to be converted. You want hungry sheep to be fed. You want uh, people without a church to be able to come in and uh, and benefit from your ministry. I don't think those are bad things. But the reality is a lot of men, uh, including ourselves, we, we have preached, we preached long to, a long time to very few people. And, uh, you know, I can, when I first came to Louisville, uh, there were four men associated with the work and six women, and some of those women were uh, pregnant, and some of them were nursing babies, and so they'd be in and out. Uh, one of the men was on a uh, was in the army, and so he was in Panama uh, for months at a time during that time on deployment, and then uh, other men sometimes were working on a Sunday night, and so you might have a night where there's two men and three or four women there and so the question comes how do you how do you maintain hope how do you maintain vigor how do you prepare sermons with excitement with the thought that only maybe five ten people are going to listen to that message and not a thousand not or not a hundred not a thousand well it needs to be said too I, there's exceptions to the rule but the general sense i get in deal in working with pastors as well as i know you do is most pastors, if they're asked honestly, 
you know, our struggle if they're preaching to the same twenty people ten years, fifteen years down the you know right. down the road. It's just it's just a reality of like you said of wanting to be res- wanting others to benefit and wanting to in a sense have new people to minister to. There there's something good about wanting to see things grow spiritually and and even numerically. Obviously, there's there's it gets it can get out of hand, especially in an American context, but. Jim, how should we think? How should we think through this biblically? If you know, if we're saying, if we're saying what is being taught, oftentimes in church growth circles and things that that it's actually okay if you preach to the same people for a decade or two decades, or don't have a lot of different kinds of people. If if that's not the 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 judgment and curse of God, there's actually the blessing of God that can come hmm. for a pastor in that. How do we biblically make sense of that? That's a good question, Brian. So I, I, th- I think that what we have to recognize is that as teachers, as preachers, we're going to stand before God. We're going to give an account for our stewardship. What does that look like? Are, are we responsible to preach to a thousand? Well, if we're not, that's not part of our stewardship. What are, what are we called to do? So we are called as pastors to preach the word in season, out of season, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. We're to do that in the sight of God in Christ. Uh, we are called to shepherd the flock of God that is among us. That's what we're called to do. And it doesn't say how big that is. It doesn't say that if you do that, there's no promise of that. You know, Zechariah 4.10 is a passage that talks about the tendency we have to despise small things. Hmm. Uh, you, you have the reality of our, our Lord's ministry. I mean, uh, Jesus uh, lost a lot of people in his ministry. Uh, he even had people that seemed excited about his ministry that he dealt with in a certain way and they walked away. Uh, you know, so you could talk to, uh, about him in a certain way as the pastor of a very small flock of a, a dozen men or so. One of them committed suicide and wound up, you know, demon possessed and suicidal. And uh, you know, if you viewed him as a result of you know what he had on that day, and then even going into the day of Pentecost with just a hundred plus gathered together right. uh, in that upper room, you might say to yourself, "Well, after three years of powerful anointed ministry, well, didn't have a whole lot to show for it." Uh, I, I think, again, we need to recognize that our stewardship is, is in faithfulness. Uh, you, you take, for instance, what, you know, I think about what Paul said in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17 when he says, We are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. And so what he was saying is that there is first and foremost a Godward aspect to his ministry of a desire to be faithful and that I'm not going to alter the word. I'm not going to stray from faithfulness just because it'll put more bottoms in the seats. That's mm. I can't do that. Same thing that he says uh, to Timothy when he said to him, you know, to, to preach the word. Uh, and not, you know, because he says in the last days, the latter days, people are going to throw off sound doctrine. And because they have itching ears, he said they will keep up for themselves teachers who will, who will give them what they want. And so um, 
as we try to handle this, as we try to think through this, because it's not just, you know, the Joel Osteens with, but sometimes it's people that do preach good, solid, strong, expository ministries, and their ministry grows, our ministry doesn't. Mm-hmm. Do you question yourself, Brian? First of all, maybe we'll talk about that. Do you question yourself? Do you say to yourself, after 10 years of the same people, maybe I'm not called for this. Maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to do. How do you, does that play into evaluation at all? Well, I'll definitely say that there's pastors listening to this who evaluate their ministry like that. And I, I want to discourage that, that you preaching to the same group of people is more of an indication that that's the flock you've been given by God, not a reflection on whether your ministry is effective or not. And that's where I think the American church evaluates very poorly in a lot of ways in general, obviously, that that we, we judge the amount of money that comes into the church and the amount of people and even new people that come into the church as the fruit of the ministry on whether God's blessing it or not. But in, those things can exist without spiritual blessing and growth from God mm. in the church. So, you know, if, if you're li- pastor and you're listening to this, you know, we want the main message we want you to hear from this is that uh, if you're preaching to the same group of people for 10 years or 15 years, that may be an indication that you need to evaluate certain things in your ministry and what you're doing. But that does not mean that it should cause there to be discontent or that you're not doing what God's faithfully called you to do. Right. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean you're a failure at all, actually. I mean, And it doesn't mean you're not called by God to preach. So as I'm doing church revitalization stuff, one of the things that kind of shocks people is, is when I say God might call you to that church to bury the people who are old there and not see any new people come and close that church with honor and dignity and use that building and those resources to, for the kingdom of God, and you're to pastor and steward that, and then you go to the next place in ministry. Now, you're not going to get asked to come to the church growth conference and speak if that's you, but the reality is that's a faithful ministry, I think. And now people hear that, especially in America, and they because we're, we've been wired to think church growth so much, whether we like it or not, evangelicals have been taught in general and wired to think church growth. So we don't think and process that way, but I think God is honored by a man who goes in and shepherds faithful sheep to, uh, to to die and go be with Jesus, tries to see the church try to grow again and get new people, younger people into the church. It just doesn't happen. And you use the, the resources in that building of the church for the kingdom of God and steward it instead of a, you know, instead of a, a restaurant or something coming along and buying that church and mm. there's no longer gospel ministry there. So I, I think it's important for there to realize that there's constant evaluation that needs to be done, but what I see many pastors doing in a very unhelpful way is they overanalyze because I'm preaching to the same 20 people, 25 people, 10 years later, I must be doing something wrong, and that's not yeah. necessarily the case. Yeah, and maybe we should talk about sometimes that you know maybe there are some things to ask and evaluate. Am I doing something wrong? Uh, and then, but what? That's not our topic for today. Right. But what we're gonna, I, I want to try to do, get at for a minute, Brian, is how do you do that with joy? How do you do that with vigor in the long run, with the recognition that you're not trying to be cynical, and you pray and you hope for visitors. You you know you witness to people, you invite people, but they don't they don't come. You don't you don't have control over that. Mm. And right. you get up in the pulpit. You are hopeful. Maybe the church 
you know, went out to one of the city fairs and you had a booth and you had a dozen conversations and, you know, three people said they're going to come and you're all excited and they're not there. How do you preach that message with joy and confidence and then get up and do the same thing the next week? Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you press on in that week after week, month after month, perhaps even year after year uh, with very little growth? Maybe... Maybe it's not the same people, but it's the kind of thing that happens sometimes. You know, two people leave the church, three people join, uh, three people leave, two people join. You know, so you wind up. It's a stagnant membership as far as numbers. Yeah. Um. It's not. You know. You're not having to knock down the walls or anything like that. How do you? How do you go about that with joy and and confidence week after week and the power of the word? that what you're doing is important, what you're doing matters, it matters in the lives of those people, et cetera. How do you go about that? Two things come to mind. One is so much of our joy, I think, is based on our expectations. So if we, you know, I think to ask the question, if you're discontent or you don't have joy in that work of laboring week in and week out in the Word with this group of people, you know, what is it that you want and why? Mm -hmm. I have 25 people. I want 150 people here. Okay, well, that's not bad to want to be able to preach to more people, wanting to minister to more people. Right. Um, but why do you want that? Why is that going? What is that making a statement about you and your ministry right. and Christ and the gospel um, that you don't make right now? So I think that's an important place to, to start. If you're not feeling joy because you feel stagnant in this place, you need to evaluate your expect your expectations are. And I think Hebrews thirteen seventeen sets the context for what our expectations should be. And that's obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account. Mm -hmm. The work of shepherding is about us giving account for the souls of the people in our care, whether there's 10 or 50 or 100. And this John Brown quote I want to read because it's one of my favorites. It really captures it. John Brown, 19th century Scottish pastor, was uh, he wrote a letter to one of his young uh, guys he was mentoring for the ministry who took a smaller church than most of the, his other his peers. Right. And Brown writes this to him, I know the vanity of your heart and that you will, you will feel mortified that your congregation is very small in comparison with those of your brethren around you. But assure yourself in the word of an old man that when you come to give an account of them to the Lord Christ at his judgment seat, you will think you had had enough. So it's a great quote. So the the Brown is is hitting on the Hebrews thirteen seventeen idea. Right. The joy in doing that work is first realizing you don't. There's not something you are lacking right now. Hmm. And I think that's it's like I'm. We're lacking twenty more people. You know, or we're lacking this age group, or we're lacking this group of sure. people in the church. It's these people. I'm going to give an account for. And what Brown's saying is, look, if you truly understand what that means, you're going to feel like you have plenty of to do. And plenty of meaningful work to do because mm. you have the souls of these people to to care for. I think it, that's the first place to start in trying to establish a, a joy in the ministry. The second thing I would say is, uh, if you're preaching the word week in and week out, month after month, you have spiritual fruit there more than likely to, to pull mm. from. And we are so good at being pessimists, and the glass is half empty, and we always see the things that are wrong or that aren't going like we want, or the bad things or the the troubling things. And we focus too much there. So I think the other piece of having joy is honestly looking at the places where there is spiritual fruit. Even in that church of 20 people, mm. that the building's falling down around them, 
and everybody's over the age of 70 years old and they're trying to get younger folks in there can't get them in there mm. it's an all-white congregation nobody else would would come and like there's a lot to be discouraged about and yet if you see spiritual fruit mm. there it's there you got to look for it have other men around you probably other pastors that can help you see the spiritual fruit maybe you miss that's why we need many or the reasons we need friends and pastors and ministry to help remind us of that so those are two things that come to mind for me, you know, how to keep joy in those situations. What about you? Something, yeah, I, I think you that's right. That? And, I, and I think you do need to try to draw that distinction between, let's say, 10, 20 people that, are, that really are thriving under your ministry versus where you just kind of feel you're just, you're pounding your head, you know, against, against a wall. And you, you need to have the ability to righteously discern that. And don't think to yourself that because there are just, you know, whatever it is, 10, 15, 20 people that are uh, hearing you week in and week out, that they are not growing or, or they are not benefiting. And that, you know, are those souls worth it? Did Christ die for those souls? And I think what, and you're asking yourself and trying to spiritually to discern, is the Lord here present? And so he does give that, very, I think, very encouraging word. I know the context is about church discipline where two or three are gathered together in my name there i am in the midst he did not give 100 or 200 as uh, as the as the example there i think there was a recognition that it doesn't matter how big you are and i think so i think it was luther who said god plus one is a majority hmm. uh and and to say i would rather have the presence of christ walking among his lampstand and souls who who want to hear the word i'd rather have 20 souls who want to hear the word than 200 folk who don't you know and the 200 look better in a picture looks better if you're going to you know put a shot on facebook yeah um but at the end of the day you know what would you rather have done is it is it okay for a man to have spent 20 30 years of his life 40 years of his life giving himself to just a few in a maybe a small community or uh, an unreached part of town, uh, and he lives and dies in obscurity. It's the tomb of the unknown pastor, and yet he's known of Christ. Uh, he is rewarded with that crown that Paul speaks about for faithful gospel ministers. Is that a, is that not a life well lived? Yeah, indeed. And I, I I don't meet many guys like this at seminary, but a few I've met. And it's it's made my day when I have, and that's I meet guys who come to seminary, ask them what they want to do, and they say they want a pastor. But as they're in seminary, they're working on a career that actually is going to allow them to pay the bills, so they can go be a bivocational pastor and go be a quality, faithful pastor to a yeah. church that can't afford to pay a full time. So it's a church in the country of twenty, thirty folks, maybe, right? And that's where they feel called, and they actually are trying to set up their career in a way that they can go do that. And the few men I've met like that, actually, one of them is one of them ended up, ended up being an elder in our church. It still is, uh, but that kind of attitude, that willingness to want to serve in that way, knowing there's pastors needed in these places. I just get really excited about meeting guys like that and the way they think yeah. about those things. Well, those are my pastoral heroes. You know, I mean, my pastoral heroes tend to be guys who labor in obscurity. Right. Because it, it, it doesn't take a lot. You know, I mean, if you're, I mean, I, I don't want to make anybody feel badly, but, you know, hey, if you're the kind of guy who, hey, you, you, 
we can feel badly if your church grows by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Well, you know, you, in a sense, almost you have your reward. You know, you it, that's relatively easy to do. I mean, if fruit, you know, fruit falling off the trees is relatively easy. But show me a guy who's willing to labor in obscurity and who would give the same quality of preparation of preaching to 10 as he would to a thousand the same careful study, the same exegetical precision, the same clear outline, and the same passion and delivery uh, that that he would. Uh, and if you and if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to preach to twenty people as though you know you were preaching to two hundred, then you don't deserve to preach to two hundred people. Yeah, and I think it's important for us, especially American pastors listening to this. The megachurch era of churches is is what hundred years old. You know, 150 years old. I mean, Spurgeon's Church, and you got Lloyd Jones, obviously later in the 20th century. But I mean, this it's it's only been the last 30 years where this has really been a a movement within the states. What was common is what we're talking about here. What what was common is in other parts of the world and even in America was were were churches that had you know under 100 people, right? Minimal finances and resources, and 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 we read about these men who pastored 30 years and 40 years in the same place to the same congregation. So not only is it not only is it okay, it's not a reason to panic or to think you're doing something wrong, but you know, we're standing on the shoulders of some really faithful men who did that long ago. Yeah, I mean and so many of the right, the men we have on our bookshelves, you know, the Puritans and other men that we I mean we don't even really know. I mean how many men did John Owen preach to? How many men did Thomas Watson or yeah. John Flavel preach to? Yeah. Um, you know, you I, I've been to some of these churches. I've been to the church where John Newton ministered. It's not huge. No. Sorry. You know, and you you recognize that God blessed the, and owned their their zealous faithfulness. So, so as we wrap this up, Jim, let, let if you're a pastor listening to this, and I'm sure there's some of you who regularly struggle with the size of your church or the same people being there, especially if you're in a rural context, right. because in so many cases, that's just the way it is in rural contexts. But if you're listening to this, you've battled the discouragement. My main counsel and encouragement to you is to read your Bible more and less of the church growth books. To find your to realize where you are is exactly where God wants you and has you, and your life in your ministry really matters. It's purposeful. It's a good way to live your life and spend your life laboring in that place. And so, just when when you're tempted to think because of size and resources and other things that I'm somehow missing it, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And by the way, you asked the question earlier. I mean, what are some things to evaluate? One is. You know, how much are you doing evangelism? You know, are you going out and trying to reach people? Are you going out and trying to build relationships with people in the community to try to reach new folks? I mean, we haven't mentioned that, but there are things that pastors can go do and should do to try to help their church grow and have new people come in. But uh, the reality is God's the one that brings the growth. You can't make that happen. And if you do, you're you're going to have to keep them with what you win them with. You want right. God to produce the growth. What you have, if you're being faithful in that, you're doing all you can is to to be content with what God has you and keep being faithful. Yeah. So we're not talking about a uh, a lazy contentment, right? We need and to bring we're that not up. talking about cynicism. That why bother? Nobody's ever going to come. Why bother witnessing? Why bother evangelizing? Uh, why bother doing you a know, lazy pastor or a, not a lazy, not a cynical pastor? Cynical pastor or one that that. Uh, 
isn't pushing himself to go take risks and be evangelistic in other ways. I mean, this we we didn't say that, but we need to. We need to acknowledge yeah. that at the end here that we're talking about men who are faithfully doing all they can to reach the community, praying and asking God to bring more folks. And it's just not the context where that's happening. But God doesn't mean God's not blessing your ministry, right? So we, yeah, you're 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 using the same word that Spurgeon used. You have access to the same Savior that Martin Lloyd Jones had, yeah. And and uh, trust God uh, to faithfully and with hope uh, shepherd that flock, uh, recognizing that you can stand before the Chief Shepherd with a with a good conscience. So let me pray for these pastors in particular listening to this and feel this burden. Lord, would you bless every pastor and person that's listening to this in their church context? If they're a pastor who's laboring uh, faithfully in their church, has not seen a lot of either growth or change numerically, Lord, that you would remind them of your the spiritual fruit you're bringing because the word's being preached. And there's a faithful shepherd caring for sheep in that church. And that you would even bring to their minds what the, that fruit is. Lord, this isn't a pastor listening to this, but they're just burdened by their church feeling stuck because nothing's changing. Lord, would you encourage them in, in the ways that you are spiritually at work and help them see that? But if there are changes that need to be made, even in leadership, you would help them see that and, and be able to lead them in that way. We know, Lord, the church is yours. And you work in the big churches and the small churches and do exactly what you want to do for your glory and to build your church in this world. We pray, Lord, you'd help us be faithful in that until Jesus returns. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.